0: Right. If you want to go ahead and turn right back to Ephesians chapter 2, that is where we were last week, and that's right where we are going to jump back in this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. So uh, as Tanner already said earlier, last week we talked a lot about um, man, like who we are, our, our sinfulness, our brokenness, and our depravity. Um, we spent a lot of time looking at that last week. And I just want you to know, it was really hard to find a good place to end last week. It was really hard to, to not just add this sermon to it. Um, I mean, I really wanted to do this during lunch last week or something, because last week, the, the focus of last week, the, who we are, that is incomplete. The, the message of the gospel would be incomplete if we did not look at what God has done in, in the rest of Ephesians chapter 2. Um, but this week, honestly, was probably one of the most difficult weeks I've had in preparation, um, which probably seems crazy. That the, the fact, the thing that we're focusing on this week is salvation. And it's like, well, how can that be difficult? How can that be difficult to prepare? Because it's the entire Bible. I mean, from, from Genesis to Revelation, we see salvation, we see that storyline playing out. And that's exactly why it was so hard, because it's, it's everything. Like, How am I supposed to get all of this into 40-ish minutes? We'll see if how well I do. Um, but it really runs the whole length of the Bible, right? I mean, we see, we see Genesis. We see the, the whole Exodus story. Um, we, Abraham, sorry, out of order. Abraham. We see the, the kings, the prophets, all of this pointing towards ultimate salvation in Jesus. And it is really, really hard to kind of refine that and try to get that down into 40 minutes. But last week, looking at Ephesians 2, we spent a lot of time in verses 1 through 3. What we saw was that the sinfulness of man, like once, when sin entered the world in Genesis 3, that it didn't just give us some predisposition to sin, it didn't just give us an opportunity to sin, but that when sin entered the world, like we... Became sinful. Paul in verse, verses one through three describes it as being dead in our trespasses, being children of wrath, being that being our nature, spiritual death, spiritually dead. And if you weren't here last week, aren't you super upset that you didn't miss all those that you missed all those encouraging words about our own depravity? Um. But we also, the last week, understanding that, understanding our sinfulness is really important because as we understand that, as we see that, we also see our need for a Savior. Because the, the more that we think that we are dead, the bigger our Savior needs to be. And that is who Jesus is. But we didn't get into this a whole lot last week but, because it, it, it feels to talk about, but like, our sin, what that deserves, being wrath, being judgment. It's like, oh, that sounds icky. We don't like to talk about that. But for us to downplay the extent of our sin, for us to downplay that, is the downplaying God's own holiness. That God is saying like, well, we can, we can do something about this. If we are lessening the extent of what our sin deserves, then we are also lessening God's holiness. But also in this, in what we, what we looked at, what we talked about, like points to the fact that we don't just need someone to tell us to do better. We don't just need someone to, that little, that little guy on your shoulder saying, do better, do good, fix yourself. You can do this, come on. Like that is obviously not what is needed. But we need a Savior who has the ability to infuse life, to give life. But this, this conundrum, this, this issue, David Platt refers to this as the fundamental question of the universe. He says that how can a holy, perfect God have a relationship with ugly sinners who deserve his judgment? How, how, he calls it the fundamental question that has to be answered in talking about salvation. He says that is the fundamental question. I mean, Tanner, when he, when he preached on just all the different characteristics of God, he talked about God being holy, God being perfectly just, God being good, God being loving, God being merciful, God being wrathful. All those things. And one thing Tanner said was he is all of those things at one time. That there's never a time when God is Loving but not wrathful. There's not a time when God is wrathful but not loving. There's not a time when God is loving but not just. That at all times he is all of those things. But then we also saw last week especially that man is not those things. That man is sinful. Man is not just. Man is not good. And this is, again, what David Platt says. This is the fundamental question. This is what has to be answered is how. how. How can God have a relationship with us? And again, we see that kind of playing out all through Scripture is the answer to this question. And I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. You should already know 1 through 3, but then I'm just going to continue on through that. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Looking at these verses right here, I want us to see three specific things. Three specific things that I see. And my, my points usually aren't that whole, they wouldn't fit well in an outline that some churches give with fill in the blanks. That's usually just not how my, my, my brain works. But I was really excited that this week. I think they do. Um, but I want us to see three things about salvation from these verses right here. They're short. Salvation is initiated by God. Salvation is initiated by God. Salvation is accomplished by God. Salvation is accomplished by God. And number three, salvation is glorifying to God. And I want want to see something this morning that, you'll notice that none of that talks a lot about us. Like the three points are not about us per se. And you see, salvation is something that is beautiful for us. It has huge implications. Uh, That our hope in Jesus, like that he is our only hope. He is our salvation, but... That ultimately, our salvation is not about us. And I think there's a difference there. You'll see this as we go through. Salvation is initiated by God. And based on what we talked about last week, this has to be true. This has to be true because we are sinful. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says we are dead in our trespasses. By nature, children of wrath. So God has to be the one that initiates. It has to be him. I said last week, our sin leaves us in this grave position that if left up to ourselves, if left up to what we're going to choose by our very nature, we're not going to choose God. But it has to be initiated by God. And again, this is why the, the, looking at our depravity, understanding our depravity, is necessary, because if we think that sin is just a little sickness, then we're going to choose to go to a doctor. If we think that, we talked about last week, the crack in the mirror, if we think we just got a little crack, then we're going to try to seek someone out to fix us. But if we're dead, meaning we can do nothing, then we have this ultimate need for a Savior, for someone to do something for us. God must initiate. So in verse 4, This comes right after the first three verses we looked at last week. So, with verses 1 through 3 in mind, with verses 1 through 3 in mind, look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So God, God does something. God initiates this. He doesn't, it doesn't say he waits for sinners to realize their badness and then come looking for him. It says that he initiates, but God, when they were dead, when they were dead in their trespasses. But then he also answers why he does it. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, God is merciful. God is love and in this love he makes us alive together with Christ and see i don't think we we so easily can downplay this love because god holy perfect righteous has zero need in himself did not need to save sinners that was not a need that he had but he does but he does love sinners he loves people that have rejected him. But it's like, I don't think, it's so easy to, to downplay how crazy that love is. And I, I spent a long time this week, a long time, I spent a lot of time in a car driving around um, for work, and I was just thinking, like, what is a good example? What can wrap our minds around, like, what's going to help us, like a worldly example of this type of love? And I could not think of one. Like, I, every time I thought of something, I was like, but that is so inadequate. Like, it doesn't even come close. I haven't Googled it, I'm trying to find, what's a good example? Like Just because I wanted it, and I couldn't think of one. But then I thought of Hosea. And so I'm going to let the Bible explain this type of love to us. Um, you don't have to flip to Hosea if you don't want to. I'm not going to necessarily read a bunch of it, but what I want to do is give you an overview of the book of Hosea. Um, you should all be experts on it. Teach, Tanner did preach on it a while, probably two years ago now, um, at least. Uh, it's been under like three because I was here. But Book of Hosea, it's in, in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament prophet. We see in the Old Testament that God continues to have prophets do crazy physical things to make a much bigger point. He makes them do certain things as his prophets, but it's, old, it's, it's to make this bigger picture, a bigger point, that God is ma- trying to make. So, as I'm saying this, know that this isn't in the Bible. This isn't some made-up story. But God tells Hosea to go and to marry a prostitute. He says, i want you to go marry a prostitute. That's what Hosea does. Hosea goes and marries a prostitute. He goes as far as to marry one named Gomer. But then, Gomer returns to her life of prostitution. Hosea has married this woman, and she has returned to her life of prostitution. Everything in our culture, everything in our world, would say, okay, let her go. You'll move on. You deserve better than that. You can find someone who will be faithful to you. You deserve better. But that's not what God says. God tells Hosea, Go buy her back. Go purchase your wife back. Go buy her back. And that's what Hosea does. Hosea goes, purchases his own wife back from these other men. Like, that sounds absolutely crazy to us. Everything our culture would say, everything that we are wired to think, this is insane. That's not what The world teaches. But God, we see that he's making this this bigger point through Hosea. He's saying that this is what is happening. This is what I am going to do with my people Israel. These people that I have chosen to set my love upon. the, The very ones that he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. These same people are the ones that have rejected him, have chased other gods, have chased the world. And yet, God is going to pursue them. He says that he is going to go make his beauty known to them. I think the word in Hosea is allure. I will allure her. I'm going to go and show myself to her as the most beautiful thing. Because he loves them. Like, we don't... I, I, I struggle to grasp this. Like, that is just this crazy amount of love that is so contrary to everything that our world teaches. But like so it's totally not what our culture would teach to to chase an unfaithful spouse. But what we see here is that not only does he say go after that unfaithful spouse, but that unfaithful spouse isn't even looking to return. It's not that we see no indication that Gomer was repentant and is waiting for Hosea to come to come redeem her. That's, that's not the picture we see in Hosea. It's that Hosea went and initiated that. He went and bought back his wife when that's not even what she realized she wanted. It's Hosea's initiative. God initiates. God comes after us even when we're in the midst of our rebellion, Are in the midst of our rejection of him. That is when he came after us. But listen, like, still in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Again, it's that... Salvation comes at people's lowest, not at their highest, not when they think they're going to earn it, not when they think they're going to do it, but it says, even when you were dead in your trespasses. Romans 5.8 says the same thing. Romans 5.8 says, But God chose his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, this also goes against everything our culture would teach about helping those that want help. And it says that Christ died for us. That God shows His love to us when we were still sinners, not seeking help, not seeking Him. But that that good old phrase that says God helps those that help themselves. Like that's not Bible. I I read this week the good old um, George Barna, who does all the surveys and gives off Chris, these statistics. He said that 68% of church-going people believe that that's in the Bible, that God helps those who help themselves. But that's how much of our world sees things. That's how we're wired to think. I mean, just to give, like, to give a real example, if you are, just put yourself in these shoes. If you were, you stop at a stoplight and there's men on both sides of the street, there's someone on both sides of the street asking for money or asking for food. And one guy has a sign that says, we'll work, we'll do anything for food. Another one says, I don't want to work, I just want your food. Like, which one is going to make you want to give money? Which one is going to leave you with a little sour taste in your mouth? Like, that, that's just how we're wired. We, 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 want, we want to help someone who is also willing to kind of help themselves. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's how we are often just taught to think. But it's that mindset that is not, that's not the gospel at all. Like, thank God that's not the gospel. Like God does not help those that help themselves. God helps those who could not help themselves, who were dead in their trespasses. Dead. They're not, not helping themselves. They're unable. Romans 6 would say they cannot please God. They were sinners and that is when Christ died. That God saves us when we were still sinners. Without God doing this, we're not going to choose Him. It's, we talked about last week, it is contrary to our nature. God has to do it. So God initiates salvation. God has to be the the one who acts. But but God also does not just initiate salvation and then leave it up to us to complete. Like God both initiates salvation and also accomplishes salvation. That's number two. Salvation is also accomplished by God. But so, you see it all over our culture, all over churches even. This this belief that it's, it's, it's Jesus' sacrifice, and then there's also this. You can enter any number of things here. Works, um, you, can add, you can add in, like, um, what's the song Nick sings that? Um, there, penance, there's, um, it's, it is finished. Is that it? It is finished, it is finished. There's no action to complete, no more penance, something like that. Um, but so many people would, pre, would, would say there is something else that we have to do. There's, there's more that we have to add. But this is not what Ephesians 2 says. Look at verse 8 and 9. 8 and 9 is this perfect response to verses 1, 2, and 3. About who we are. Our own states are being dead in trespasses. These are the verses that we're going to learn together in response to that. But verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul is writing to Christians. Remember, we talked about last week. He's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus, and he's reminding them, hey, this is not your doing. You did not do this. You did not earn this. It is a gift. Because the very nature of grace, it can't be earned. Like the na- very nature of a gift is it can't be earned. If, it's, if you earn it, it's not a gift. It's a wage. And we've tried really hard with the girls to emphasize like just the nature of grace. Like there's, there's, there are certain times and certain situations where it's like, okay, you didn't earn this, but in grace you still get to do this. That out of grace, you still get to do this. And we've tried really hard to emphasize that. So much so that now, sometimes in the middle of a timeout or in the middle of being in trouble, it's like, us can have grace now? Um still working on getting the full meaning, um, working on it. But it's just the, the nature of grace. We, we don't earn it. It is, it is given. And think back for a moment at, that, at David Platt's fundamental question. His question says, "How can a holy, just, gracious God have a relationship with, with sinners? man, depraved man, man who is, who is sinful at their core?" And we say, we say "Well, God is gracious. God, God, God gives grace." But, but it doesn't just stop there because, because if God was to give grace, but to overlook sin and not, not, not worry about sin, then God is no longer just. And a good God who is a bad judge is not really God. And a good judge is going to be just. But each one of us in our sin, in our fallen state, cannot pay the price, cannot justify ourselves. We can do nothing. Not by works, so no one can boast. But this is, again, out of that love we talked about, out of God's love, out of His mercy... He pays the price himself. He pays the price himself. That, that this love, out of his love, out of his mercy, he pays the price for our sins himself. That Jesus, the very Son of God, pays the price only he could pay. That we deserved, talked about this a lot last week, we deserved condemnation, we deserved judgment, we deserved death, and we were spiritually dead and not going to change unless he did something. But Jesus, perfect son of God, who had done no wrong, who walked where we walked and talked where we talked and was tempted where we were tempted and thought where we thought, 100% man, but 100% God, took all of the wrath that we deserved, every single ounce Like, you don't have to flip there, but 1 Peter 2.24 says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The good news of the gospel is not that we paid this price ourselves, but it's that Jesus paid that price. He bore our sins. Each each person, like, he, he bore our sins on his body on the tree. That we might live to righteousness. Like, this, this alone, Jesus paying the price for our sins, when that's not what we deserve, that's not what we earned, that alone, like, why do we sing about Jesus so much? Why do we sing, why do we talk about the gospel so much in everything that we do? Because Jesus alone paid the price that we could not pay. Like, it leaves nothing for us to complete. The perfect Son of God paid a price that we could not. Listen, all that we are as a church, all that we are as Christians, all that we can ever hope to be was because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Paying the price that we could not pay, redeeming dead sinners and giving life. And I want to remind you, this is something that we might, we, many of us know in our heads. But I want to remind us, mind our hearts, just the nature of grace again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast Again, the nature of grace, the nature of a gift is that it's not earned. If it was, like, if gifts were earned, I'm going to look down so I don't make eye contact, but if gifts were earned, many of us probably would not have gotten Christmas presents. Many of us probably would not get presents. It, but, the, but gifts aren't earned. That's, that's the whole nature of a gift. It's a, it's a, it's a gift. It's given. Not earned. I mentioned earlier that we if you earn something it's in a wage. Romans 6:23 says we do earn something. It says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is salvation. Free gift given by God. Like This is why we would reject anything that someone tries to add to salvation in Jesus alone. Because a free gift is not, you don't say, oh, I'm going to give you this, but now you have to do this, this, and this afterwards. That's again, not a gift. Salvation is through Jesus and Jesus alone, solely by what he accomplished on the cross. But here's the part where I want to like ask some questions. Like knowing this, even like maybe we know this here, how often do we slip into that still trying to earn it? Even Christians, even those that, that say, yeah, I I, I get it. I, I know I am justified solely by the blood of Jesus. How often do we still try to earn it? Or how how often do we try to say in a different way, maybe, how do we try to. Prove to God that he was right in saving us through our actions, through our obedience. That God is going to be pleased with us. But a core part of Christianity says you can do nothing to earn his favor. You can do nothing to make yourself savable. You can do nothing to look better in his eyes. Like, the the core message of the gospel, like, is that we can do nothing to fix ourselves. And I think that is really frustrating to a lot of people. Like, that we can't save ourselves. That we can do nothing. I mean, that's how, I can speak from a male perspective, and how people, a a lot of things people have said about males. But, like, we are geared to want to fix. We're geared to want to do. I've had many conversations with Brenna where she said, Stop trying to fix. Just listen to me. Because it's like, I want to fix it. I, wa- I want to do something. I want to fix. I think that many of us are wired like this. And if you see worldwide statistics that show there's more females in the church than males, it makes me wonder if, this, if there's correlation there. Worldwide. But do you try to earn it? Listen, I, I know that... I know many of you well enough to know that you would never say, yes, I'm trying to earn my salvation. I'm trying to to do this that only Jesus has done. I I know most of you well enough to know that. But I think that, myself included, I think that we get into this mindset of, well, man, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to volunteer for each program. I've got to volunteer for each opportunity. I've got to do this and this and this because God wants me to do that and I've got to make him happy. But anything that we're trying to add to the cross anything we're trying to add to Jesus's work is just negating the finished work of Jesus if we're trying to add we're saying what he has done is not enough it sounds crazy but like Jesus you died you alone were worthy to die a death that I deserved but it wasn't quite enough so I'm going to do this I'm going to add this work I'm going to add this thing that I'm doing we want to cling to something We know it sounds foolish when it's said, but do you ever, would your attitudes, would your words, would your actions always reflect that you understand that you are saved by grace and grace alone? In in Galatians 6.14, Paul says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, The cross of Christ, what he has done, is my only boast. I can boast in nothing else. And for those of you that believe this, for those of you that are saved, this is our only boast. It can be our only boast. Why? Why? Why are you saved? Our only response is Jesus. It's the only response we can give. And if you are not saved, this is the only way you can be saved, through the cross of Jesus. So salvation is initiated by God. It is accomplished by God. And salvation is glorifying to God. And I think this is one of the most dangerous things here you hear it talked about way too often is that, well, salvation is about us. Well, it's all about us. It's God saved us with the key word being us and not God saving. But it's about us. And to think that what God is doing is for us. And it is. I don't want to downplay the fact of the beauty of salvation and what Christ has given us. But to think that it is about us is very, very dangerous. What I want to do is, I want to, I'm going to give you a quote here, and I want to set this up because what I'm going to say we would utterly reject. But I think it gives a, an attitude that we, would, that we see in our culture, even in mainstream Christianity, is this huge error. So, what I'm saying is not true what I'm saying, we, we, would, we would reject this, this one quote, and I'm going to give you a start quote, end quote, so you know. But I want, to, I want you to hear the danger in this. Start quote. I want to encourage every one of us, I want to say, this was said in front of a big church on a Sunday morning. I want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. But we're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the one thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want, to, I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. End quote. Thanks. Do you realize how ridiculous this is? Like, do you realize how it's heartbreaking to know that there's... I I watched this on video. Thousands of people stand up and start applauding. Mind-blowing, because this is so wrong. The moment that we think that what God has done is solely to make us happy... If that is the only reason that everything God is doing is just for us, he just wants us to be happy. We've missed it. We've missed it. Salvation is huge. It is beautiful. It is glorious. And through Jesus and Jesus alone, we have this eternal inheritance. See, Ephesians 1 talks about this. In him, we've obtained an inheritance. And it's beautiful. But look, look at Ephesians 2, verse 6 through 7. Ephesians 2, verse 6 through 7. It says that God raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Listen, like there, like you see the gospel there, that, that we have been raised with Christ, solely through Christ. We have this eternal hope lived with Him. But why? So that he might display his love, his grace, his glory in that. In salvation, God is displaying his glory. Look back at Ephesians 1 verse 5. It's not, I, don't have, I don't even have it up there. So. But if you have your Bible, look at Ephesians 1 verse 5. It says, God, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Verse 11, I already alluded to it a minute ago. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will so that we who are the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. God, in his glory, displays himself as glorious, as holy, as perfect, as loving, as merciful. Everything that Tanner talked about, God displays in salvation. Let me, let me, let me kind of talk through this for a second. We, we already established that, that in our sin, we deserve death. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve eternal death. Romans 6 we read last week would say that we we can do nothing about this. We cannot please God. We are dead. But in salvation, listen to this. In salvation, because of his perfect love he displays his perfect love in loving sinners, in loving people who don't deserve it, who didn't earn it, but he loves them. Loves sinful man. That Hosea type of love that goes after those who are rejecting him. But God, rich in mercy, in perfect mercy, does not give us what we deserve. In salvation, we are not given what we deserve. God is displaying his perfect mercy. But God, also perfectly just, means the sin cannot go unpunished. It can't go... Undealt with. But God, being perfectly loving, merciful, just, and wrathful, pours out this wrath on Jesus. That Jesus took that. Jesus took all of it that we could not. He bore that on his body, on the tree. First Peter. But when Jesus was nailed on the cross, God, perfect, perfectly wrathful, displays that in the work on the cross. Which then, in saving sinners, God is perfectly just because the price has been paid. No more uh, for us to do. The price has been paid. So you see, in salvation, all of God's glory is on display in him saving sinners. His love, his mercy, his justice, his wrath. In this perfect gift of grace that he gives to sinners. All through the Bible, we see that God is just working all this together for his own glory. And his great love towards us is another example of that. Listen, we see in Ephesians 1 that he saves to bring praise and glory. Romans 1 says that, you, that those, you've been saved to, for, the, for the sake of Jesus' name among the nations. Ezekiel, we see all through there, all through Ezekiel we see God doing things, God saving, God redeeming, God giving promises, all of this for the sake of his name, that they might, he says, for the, so that they might know that I am the Lord. Understanding this about salvation can should in no way lead us to look at ourselves. in none of this. It's not, we don't come here to worship because it makes us happy. We come here to worship because God has sent his son to purchase us back. And that's a free gift that he did on his own initiative. Not because we earned it, not because we're earning it now. Like, This salvation should lead us to this humble worship, knowing that God alone has done it. We worship because God has not left us dead, but has made us alive. I I want to encourage all of us just to set our eyes on Christ in all things and everything that we're doing. As our one hope, as our salvation, as the only thing we ever have any hope in is through Jesus. And as we move into a time of of, of response, I I want to encourage you to reflect on these things. Especially during this this first song, I'm going to let Tanner introduce it more, but during this first song I want You just spend some time just reflecting on the nature of grace, the nature of salvation being given through Jesus and Jesus alone, not because of what we've done. Are are your eyes set fully on Jesus? Do you understand that he took all of the wrath that you deserved on himself? But then, are you trying to earn it now? Spend some time like spend some time are you, are you trying to earn this now but then remind yourself of just the nature of grace and the beauty of grace and what Jesus has done in Ephesians 2 he says this is all in past where we've read I read this last week but in verse 12 he says remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It is an understanding of what we've been given through Christ that should lead us to worship. It should lead us to worship. One of the songs that we're going to sing says, your cross, it changes everything. Our hope, anything that we could ever do, all of it, all of it, it changes everything. And if you're here and your hope is not set fully on Christ, you say, I don't know what this means. I don't know. This is not where my hope is. I just urge you to consider these things that we've talked about. I urge you to consider this, and to consider the fact that your sins have earned you death, have earned you separation from God, with no hope. But I also urge you to see that grace through the cross of Christ is salvation that God saves. Don't try to please him with your actions. Don't try to please him with good works. Don't try to please him with anything. Trust that Jesus alone has done it. Because he alone can say, let's pray.